Hello, and welcome to Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality, the podcast. Written by Eliezer Yudkowsky, read by Eniash Brodsky, based on the works of J.K. Rowling. As readers of the Methods of Rationality will know, we are now on the last written chapter. After this, there likely won't be any new chapters until July, maybe longer. Many people have asked what will happen with the podcast while Eliezer is writing further chapters, and I have a two-part answer. First, starting now, the podcast is switching to an every-other-Wednesday schedule rather than the every-Wednesday schedule I used to keep. I'm doing this for myself as much as anything because I've been short on free time for well over a year now, and there are other things I'd like to pursue as well. This will give me some extra time to pursue those interests and give the podcast some breathing room as well. And second, I will be audioizing a few of Eliezer's other works in the spaces between new updates. First up is The Sword of Good, which will air in two parts in June. First half of Chapter 87, Hedonic Awareness Thursday, April 16th, 1992 The school was almost deserted now, nine-tenths of the students having gone home for the Easter holiday, just about everyone she knew missing. Susan had stayed behind, her grand-aunt being quite busy, as had Ron for reasons she didn't know. Maybe the Weasley family was poor enough that feeding all the children for an extra week would have been a noticeable strain? It all worked out well enough, since Ron and Susan were just about the only ones left who'd still talk to her. At least, that she wanted to talk back to. Lavender was still nice to her, and Tracy was... Um... Tracy. But neither of them were quite relaxing to spend a free hour around. And in any case, neither of those two had stayed over the Easter halls. If she couldn't go home, and she wasn't allowed to go home, her parents had been lied to and told she'd had glowpox. Then an almost empty Hogwarts was the next best thing. She could even visit the library without people staring at her, since there were no lessons and nobody was trying to do schoolwork. It would be a mistake to think that Hermione drooped around the corridors, weeping all day long. Oh, she'd cried a lot the first two days, of course. But two days had been enough. There were parts of Harry's borrowed books about that. How even people who were paralyzed in car accidents weren't nearly as unhappy as they'd expected to be six months later, just like lottery winners weren't nearly as happy as they'd expected. People adjusted. Their happiness levels went back to their happiness set point. Life went on. A shadow fell over where Hermione was reading her current book, and she whirled around, the wand hidden on her lap coming up to point directly at the surprised face of... Sorry, Harry Potter said, hastily holding up his palms to show his left hand empty and his right hand holding a small red velvet pouch. Sorry, didn't mean to startle you. There was an awful silence, her heartbeat increasing and her palms starting to sweat as Harry Potter just looked at her. She'd almost talked to him on the first morning of the rest of her life. But when she'd come down to breakfast, Harry Potter had looked so awful, so she hadn't sat down beside him at the breakfast table, just quietly eaten in her own little bubble of nobody sitting next to her. And it had been horrible, but Harry hadn't come to her, and she just hadn't talked to him since then. 
It wasn't hard to avoid everyone if you stayed out of the Ravenclaw common room and ran out of classes before anyone could talk to you. And ever since, she'd been wondering what Harry thought of her now. If he hated her for having lost all his money. Or if he really was in love with her and that's why he'd done it. Or if he'd given up on her keeping pace with him because she couldn't frighten Dementors. She couldn't face him now. She just couldn't. She'd spent sleepless nights worrying what Harry thought of her now. And she was afraid. And she'd been avoiding the boy who'd spent all his money to save her. And she was a horrible, ungrateful wretch. And a terrible person. And... Then her eyes glanced down to see that Harry was reaching into the red velvet pouch and taking out a heart-shaped red foil-wrapped sweet. And her brain melted down like chocolate left out in the sun. I was going to give you more space, only I was reading up on Critch's theories about hedonics and how to train your inner pigeon, and how small immediate positive and negative feedbacks secretly control most of what we actually do. And it occurred to me that you might be avoiding me because seeing me made you think of things that felt like negative associations. And I really didn't want to let that run any longer without doing something about it, so I got a hold of a bag of chocolates from the Weasley twins, and I'm going to give you one every time you see me as a positive reinforcement if that's alright with you. Breathe, Harry, Hermione said without thinking about it. It was the first word she'd spoken to him since the day of the trial. The two of them stared at each other. The book stared at them from the surrounding shelves. They stared some more at each other. You're supposed to eat the chocolate, Harry said, holding out the heart-shaped sweet like a valentine. Unless just being given a chocolate feels good enough to count as a positive reinforcement. In which case, you probably need to put it in your pocket or something. She knew that if she tried speaking again, she'd fail, so she didn't try. Harry's head slumped a bit. Do you hate me now? No. No, you shouldn't think that, Harry. Just, just, just everything. She realized that her wand was still pointing at Harry, and she lowered it. She was trying very hard not to burst into tears. Everything. She repeated, and couldn't find anything better to say than that although she was certain that Harry wanted to tell her to be specific. I think I understand. What are you reading? Before she could stop him then, Harry bent over the library desk to see the book she was reading, leaning his head forward before she could think to grab the book away. Harry stared at the open page. The World's Wealthiest Wizards and How They Got That Way, Harry read off the book's title from the top. Number 65, Sir Gareth, owner of a transportation company that won the 19th century shipping wars. Monopoly on OT3s. I see. I suppose you're going to tell me I don't need to worry about anything, and you'll take care of it all. It came out sounding harsher than she would have wanted, and she felt another stab of guilt for being such a terrible person. Nah. I can put myself in your shoes well enough to know that if you paid a bunch of money to save me... I'd be trying to pay it back. I'd know it was silly on some level, and I'd still be trying to pay it back all by myself. There's no way I wouldn't understand that, Hermione. Hermione's face screwed up, and she felt moisture in the corners of her eyes. Fair warning, though. I might solve the debt to Lucius Malfoy myself if I see a way before you do. 
It's more important to get that sorted immediately than which one of us gets it sorted. Anything interesting so far? Three quarters of her was running in circles and smashing into trees as she tried to figure out the implications of everything Harry had just said. Did he still respect her as a heroine? Or did that mean he thought she couldn't do it on her own? And meanwhile, a much more sensible part of Hermione flipped back the book to page 37, which had the most promising entries she'd seen so far. Though in her imagination, she always did it on her own and took Harry completely by surprise. I thought this seemed quite interesting. Number 14. Crozier. True name unknown. Wow, that is... That is the gaudiest checkered top hat I've ever seen. Wealth, at least 600,000 galleons, so around 30 million pounds. Not enough to make a muggle famous, but good enough for the smaller wizarding population, I guess. Rumored to be a modern alias of the 6th century old Nicholas Flamel, the only known wizard to succeed at the incredibly difficult alchemical procedure for creating the Philosopher's Stone which enables the transmutation of base metals into gold or silver, as well as the elixir of life, which indefinitely prolongs the youth and health of the user. Um, Hermione, this seems obviously false. I've read more references to Nicholas Flamel. The Rise and Fall of the Dark Arts says he secretly trained Dumbledore to stand up to Grindelwald. There's a lot of books that take the story seriously, not just this one. You think it's too good to be true? No, of course not. Harry pulled out the chair next to her own at the small table and sat down beside her in his accustomed place on her right, just like he'd never left. She had to choke back a catch in her throat. The idea of too good to be true isn't causal reasoning. The universe doesn't check if the output of the equations is too good or too bad before allowing it. People used to think that airplanes and smallpox vaccines were too good to be true. Muggles have figured out ways to travel to other stars without even using magic. And you and I can use our wands to do things that muggle physicists think are literally impossible. I can't even imagine what we could rule out the real laws of magic being able to do. So what's the problem then? Her voice sounded more normal now in her own ears. Well... The boy reached over her own outstretched arm, his robes brushing hers, and tapped the artist's illustration of an ominously glowing red stone dripping scarlet liquid. Problem one is that there's no logical reason why the same artifact would be able to transfigure lead to gold and produce an elixir that kept someone young. I wonder if there's an official name for that in the literature. Like, the turned-up-to-eleven effect, maybe. If everyone can see a flower, you can't get away with saying flowers are the size of houses. But if you're in a flying saucer cult, since nobody can see the alien mothership anyway, you can say it's the size of a city, or the size of the moon. Observable things have to be constrained by evidence, but when somebody makes up a story, they can make the story as extreme as they want. So the Philosopher's Stone gives you unlimited gold and eternal life. Not because there's a single magical discovery that would produce both of those effects, but because someone made up a story about a super happy thingy. Harry, there's a lot of things in magic that aren't sensible. Granted. 
But Hermione, problem too is that not even wizards are crazy enough to casually overlook the implications of this. Everyone would be trying to rediscover the formula for the Philosopher's Stone. Whole countries would be trying to capture the immortal wizard and get the secret out of him. It's not a secret. Hermione flipped the page, showing Harry the diagrams. The instructions are right on the next page. It's just so difficult that only Nicholas Flamel's done it. So entire countries would be trying to kidnap Flamel and force him to make more stones. Come on, Hermione. Even wizards wouldn't hear about immortality and... and... Harry Potter paused, his eloquence apparently failing him. And just keep going? Humans are crazy, but they're not that crazy. Not everyone thinks the same way you do, Harry. He did have a point, but... How many different references had she come across to Nicholas Flamel? Besides World's Wealthiest Wizards and Rise and Fall of the Dark Arts, there'd also been stories of moderately ancient times and biographies of the justly famous. All right, then. Professor Quirrell would have kidnapped this Flamel guy. It's what an evil person or a good person or just a selfish person would do if they had any sense. The defense professor knows a lot of secrets and he wouldn't miss that one. Harry sighed and looked up. She followed his gaze, but he was apparently just looking at the larger library, the rows and rows and rows of bookcases. I don't mean to mess with your project, and I certainly don't mean to discourage you, but honestly, Hermione, I'm not sure you're going to find any good ideas for making money in a book like this. Like the old joke about how if an economist sees a 20-pound note lying in the street, they won't bother picking it up. Because if it were real, someone else would have picked it up already. Any way of making lots of money that everyone knows about to the point where it's in books like this... You see what I'm saying? It can't be possible for everyone to make a thousand galleons a month in three easy steps, or everyone would be doing it. So? That wouldn't stop you. You do impossible things all the time. I bet you've done something impossible in the last week, and you didn't bother telling anyone. There was a slight pause, which, if Miss Granger had known, was exactly the length of pause you'd make if you'd fought Mad-Eye Moody and won exactly eight days earlier. Not in the last seven days, no. Look, part of the trick of doing the impossible is being selective about which impossibilities you challenge, and only trying when you have a special advantage. If there's a money-making method in this book that sounds difficult for a wizard, but it's easy if we can use Dad's old Mac Plus, then we have a plan. I know that, Harry, Hermione said, her voice wavering only slightly. I was looking to see if there was anything here I could figure out how to do. I thought maybe the difficult part about making a Philosopher's Stone was that the all-chemical circle had to be super precise, and I could get it right by using a muggle microscope. That's brilliant, Hermione! The boy rapidly drew his wand, said quietus, and then continued after the small noises of the rowdier books had died down. Even if the Philosopher's Stone is just a myth, the same trick might work for other difficult alchemies. Well, it can't work. She'd flown across the library to look up the only book on alchemy that wasn't in the restricted section. And then... She remembered the crushing letdown, all the sudden hope dissipating like mist. 
because all alchemical circles have to be drawn to the fineness of a child's hair. It isn't any finer for some alchemies than others. And wizards have omnoculars. And I haven't heard of any spells where you use omnoculars to magnify things and do them exactly. I should have realized that. Hermione, Harry said seriously as he started to dig down into the red velvet pouch again. Don't punish yourself when a bright idea doesn't work out. You've got to go through a lot of flawed ideas to find one that might work. And if you send your brain negative feedback by frowning when you think of a flawed idea, instead of realizing that idea suggesting is good behavior by your brain to be encouraged, pretty soon you won't think of any ideas at all. Harry put down two heart-shaped chocolates beside the book. Here, have another chocolate. Besides the one from earlier, I mean. This one is to reinforce your brain for generating a good candidate strategy. I suppose you're right. Hermione said in a small voice, but she didn't touch the chocolate. She started to turn the pages back to 167, where she'd been reading before Harry had come in. Hermione Granger did not require bookmarks, of course. Harry was leaning over slightly, his head almost touching her shoulder, watching the pages as she turned them, as though he might be able to glean valuable information from glimpsing the page for only a quarter second. Breakfast hadn't been long ago, and she could clearly identify, from the faint scent of his breath, that Harry'd eaten banana pudding for dessert. Harry spoke again. So with all that said, and please take this as a positive reinforcement... Did you really try to invent a way to mass-produce immortality so that I could pay off my debt to Lucius Malfoy? Yes, she said in an even smaller voice. Even when she tried to think like Harry, it seemed she hadn't yet got the knack of it. So what have you been doing this whole time, Harry? Harry made a disgusted face. Trying to collect evidence on the whole who-framed-Hermione-Granger mystery. I... Hermione looked up at Harry. Shouldn't I be trying to solve my own mystery, though? It hadn't been her first thought, her first priority. But now that Harry mentioned it... That wouldn't work in this case. There's too many people who'll talk to me and not you. And I'm also sorry to say that some of them made me promise not to talk to anyone else. Sorry, I don't think you can help much on this one. Okay, I guess. Fine. You do everything. You gather all the clues and talk to all the suspects while I just sit here in the library. Let me know after it turns out that it was Professor Quirrell who did it. Hermione, why is it so important who does what? Shouldn't it be more important to get everything solved than who solves it? I guess you're right. She lifted her hands to press up at her eyes. I guess it doesn't matter anymore. Everyone's gonna think, I know it's not your fault, Harry, you were... You were being good. You were just a perfect gentleman. But no matter what I do now, they're all going to think that I'm just someone for you to rescue. She paused and said with her voice quivering, And maybe they're right, Harry. Whoa, whoa, hold on there a second. I can't scare Dementors. I can get outstandings in charms class, but I can't scare Dementors. I've got a mysterious dark side! Harry hissed after his head turned around to scan the library. There was one boy in the distant corner who did look in their direction occasionally, but he would have been too far away to hear anything even without the quieting barrier. 
I've got a dark side that definitely isn't a child, and who knows what other crazy magical stuff going on in my head. Professor Coral claimed that I become whoever I believe I am. That's all cheating, don't you see, Hermione? There's an arrangement that the school administration made that I'm not supposed to talk about so that the boy who lived could have more time to study every day. I'm cheating, and you're still beating me in charms class. I'm... I'm probably not... The boy who lived probably isn't even something that you could properly call a child. And you're still competing with that. Don't you realize... If it wasn't for people paying attention to me, you'd look like the most powerful witch to come along in a century? When you can fight three older bullies by yourself and win? I don't know, she said, pressing her hands again over her eyes. All I know is, even if that's all true, nobody's ever going to see me for myself anymore, ever. All right, Harry said after a while. I see what you mean. Instead of the famous Potter and Granger research team, there'll be Harry Potter and his lab assistant. Um, here's an idea. How about if I don't focus on making money for a while? I mean, the debt doesn't come due until I graduate Hogwarts, so you can do it yourself and show the world you've still got it. And if you coincidentally crack the secret of immortality along the way, we'll just call it a bonus. The thought of Harry relying on her to come up with a solution seemed like a crushing burden of responsibility to dump on a poor, traumatized 12-year-old girl. And she wanted to hug him for offering her a way to restore her self-respect as a heroine, and it was what she deserved for being a horrible person and speaking sharply to Harry all the time, when all along he'd been a truer friend to her than she'd ever been to him, and it was good that he still thought she could do things, and... Is there some amazing rational thing you do when your mind's running in all different directions? My own approach is usually to identify the different desires, give them names, conceive of them as separate individuals, and let them argue it out inside my head. So far, the main persistent ones are my Hufflepuff, Ravenclaw, Gryffindor, and Slytherin sides, my inner critic, and my simulated copies of you, Neville, Draco, Professor McGonagall, Professor Flitwick, Professor Quirrell, Dad, Mum, Richard Feynman, and Douglas Hofstadter. Hermione considered trying this, before her common sense warned her that it might be a dangerous sort of thing to pretend. There's a copy of me inside your head? Of course there is! The boy suddenly looked a bit more vulnerable. You mean there isn't a copy of me living in your head? There was, she realized. And not only that, it talked in Harry's exact voice. It's rather unnerving now that I think about it. I do have a copy of you living in my head. It's talking to me right now using your voice, arguing how this is perfectly normal. Good. I mean, I don't see how people could be friends without that. She continued reading her book then, Harry seeming content to watch the pages over her shoulder. She'd gotten all the way to number 70, Catherine Scott, who'd apparently invented a way to turn small animals into lemon tarts when she finally worked up the courage to speak again. Harry. She was leaning a bit away from him now, though she didn't realize it. If there's a copy of Draco Malfoy in your head, does that mean you're friends with Draco Malfoy? End first half of chapter 87
Thank you to the following people. Hermione Granger, Anonymous. This chapter's original text, production notes, and attribution links, along with archives and much more, can be found at hpmorpodcast.com. If you would like to learn more about the art of rationality, please visit lesswrong.com, an online community of aspiring rationalists founded by Eliezer Yudkowsky. Some sound effects used are courtesy of the Free Sound Project. The music used is Catch That Goblin by Skaven. Thank you for listening and come back in two weeks for the second half of Chapter 87, Hedonic Awareness. 